0: podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information on Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Tonight we're looking at healing in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bible, you could turn with me to... uh, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be bouncing around the scripture. I've made a very elaborate, uh, whatever one of these things are called, I forget what these things are called, but the PowerPoint. I uh, made it very elaborate. Hopefully it has all the appropriate uh, scriptures on there. And uh, so if you want to take notes, you can look at these later. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11. And this, if you were my Sunday school class this, this on a Sunday morning, I would tell you This is your memory verse for the week. I believe in memory verses, don't you? Committing the word into your heart is is powerful. Anyway, so Matthew 11 and verse 12, but we'll get there in a minute. Let me say something radical to you. God wills healing. God wills healing. We don't think about it like this too often. We often think about something, this is something we have to endure, or that that kind of thing. But God wills healing, and He is connected to our well-being by loving us enough to desire for us health and healing. The more we understand this, the less this becomes about some great act of faith, and the more it becomes about receiving the loving touch of your heavenly Father. My wife often says regarding her mood that a mother can only be as happy as the saddest of her children. In a similar way, maybe a little less codependent way, God feels the same thing about us. His happiness is linked to our well-being. He is pleased when we are well. J.I. Packer, the great English theologian, writes this. It is not for nothing that the Bible habitually speaks of God as loving father and husband of his people. It follows from the very nature of these relationships that God's happiness will not be complete until all his loved ones are finally out of trouble. I like the sound of that. You say, well, why... Do we have these ills and sickness? And why do we have, why are we plagued with these things that, that uh, happen to our bodies? And so we have to take a look at that here in a moment. But when we, when we grab a hold of this, we need to recognize that God, when He gets His way, when we pray, we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, uh, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the desire is that God's will will be done on earth, in the way that it is done in heaven. What is the way that it is done on, in heaven? It is unfettered. It is instantaneous. There is always obedience. There is never resistance. There is never any warfare. There is never any resistance to the will of God. And so when God says, let it be, it is in heaven. Not so on earth. On, on earth, the will of God gets resistance, the wor- word of God and, and the will of God gets warfare against it. The, the word of God is limited on, on this plane because of different things that we go through. And so recognizing that it's God's will and that when God finally gets us to the place where his, his will is unfettered and his will is unchallenged and his will is unresisted, what's the first thing that happens to you? Let's say you die right now, this second. Let's say this sermon is so bad that it kills you right now. That you instantly die right now. What's the first thing that's going to happen to you? You'll be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, right? And what will immediately happen upon your entrance into the kingdom of God? You will get a glorified body. You are entering into a state of existence that the Bible tells us there is no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying. None of this happens in heaven. Why? Because everyone is made whole. We, are, we have access to the leaves of the tree of life that brings healing to the nations. So immediately upon our death, we immediately have the ability to be Whole. No more sickness, no more sorrow. That's why we're comforted as Christians, unlike other people who, who grieve. The Bible says we do not grieve like other men who grieve with great sorrow as if they have no hope. We are filled with hope at the, at the deathbed of a loved one knowing that he's going to go into a place that is better. In fact, that's what we tell each other at funerals, right? Well, he or she is in a better place, right? And we believe that, right? Because we know that God's will is to heal so settle the issue in your mind right now God's will is to heal he desires our health our wholeness Um, it's interesting you know I'm going through this thing and I went to my doctor who's a Muslim a good Muslim not a murderous thug of a Muslim but I mean a good Muslim and my doctor says to me, whatever God's will is, that's taking me all this time to get him to finally talk about God, you know. Whatever God's will is, is God's will. And you know the thing, it's just a waste of energy to try to fight against the will of God because the will of God is the will of God. And so to fight against that is, is he's God. How can we fight about it? We just, whatever God's will is, that's what we just receive it and just, and just keep moving forward as best we can. That is great advice if you're a Muslim, right? Problem is, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian. And while there there is certainly some benefit to me listening to what he's having to say, I recognize that there is never a situation on this earth where we are in a place of impossibility. There is never a place on this earth where we are in a place where we cannot we cannot overcome. And so we've talked about, we talked about last week a little bit about how God's will was even changed. God said, it's, your, it's my will that you're going to die and such and such. And then God changed his mind. It says The scripture actually says the Lord repented concerning his decision there because of prayer. Prayer is powerful. So we have these erroneous views. We sometimes, Pentecostals, say this, we're going to storm the gates of heaven. I confess to you, I think I've said that before. What does that say? That God and his great healing power is holed up in heaven with the doors locked, that he is unaccessible to us that he's plugging his ears in heaven and the only way you can get his attention is if you go out and march in the streets of heaven so to speak if you tell him all lives matter down here on earth if you if you if you pitch a fit on the streets of glory so that God eventually has to pay attention to you because and then he does so ever so reluctantly only because you violently spoke it out before him well, that is simply not the picture of Jesus that we get in Scripture, is it? And we never see Jesus going, oh, here they come, they want healing, let's go, let's go, quick, quick, guys, move, 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 here they come, they're coming. We never see Jesus doing that. Jesus is not reluctant, he's, he's, he's encouraged by that. We need to understand what death is in order to understand what, that healing is God's will. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, tells us this. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, right? So, in some philosophies, death is a friend. It's the end of your life, and death has come by, and to strip you of the burden of that, that body that you carry around, and to set you free from the great burden of that body. That is perfectly unscriptural. I mean, there's some truth to that. This body has an expiration date stamped on it someplace that we can't see. and. So we recognize that it gets old and it has to be dragged along with us for a while. We all know that our brains are sharper than our body. At least most of us don't point. And so the scripture tells us that death is the last enemy to be vanquished. Now, we should should measure that against the other scriptures. It also says that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. So, but, but God views death as an enemy, especially death that comes to cut something short. There's a, there's a certain beauty in seeing someone released from this life and going into glory. There's no doubt about that. But recognizing that death is not my friend, he's not on my side, that, uh, and the words of the Rolling Stones, time... No, he's not on your side. He's not. That's the whole point. last enemy to be destroyed is death. In fact, we believe what the ancients taught about Jesus. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to us This is speaking of who Jesus was. He's the Son of God. He's come as revelation of who God is, and he comes as the exact representative of how God feels about things. If things ticked off Jesus, then they ticked off God. Jesus said uh, in, in one place, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what his fa- he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. No one has ever seen God. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the, is at the Father's side, has made him known. That word, interestingly enough, uh, to make him known is exegesis. Jesus exegeted God. That's, that's a Bible term for studying the word, to make something real, to, 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 to to reveal it in its all its magnitude. So Jesus came to reveal the glory of the Father. He said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we want to know how God thinks, we just look at Jesus and we see that's how God thinks. Jesus, we see, is moved by compassion, that it is his greatest emotion. It is the one that's most recorded of him in Scripture. And everywhere Jesus goes, he's compassionate because of this or that, because the people are harassed and helpless because of the predicaments that they're in. He sees them filled with compassion. Jesus even weeps at the tomb of someone that he knows that in the next breath he will raise from the dead. But Jesus experiences that same compassion. So we come to our text. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So the picture here is telling us that Life was going on the way life was going on, and then suddenly the kingdom of God came to to this this intersection, the kingdom of God and life as we know it came to an intersection. Jesus came at that moment and brought the kingdom of God into that place, and at that moment the kingdom of God began this, this expanse. In fact, actually this scripture even tells us that it goes back even further, that as John the Baptist came to to lay the foundation of the kingdom, to, to remind people of the biblical foundation of the Old Testament God that they had been been learning about and studying and following. And now John the Baptist comes, and he begins to call people back to that God, though they've been, they've been away for a while. The Holy Spirit hasn't moved for 400 years, and suddenly now John the Baptist, even while he's in utero, so suddenly while he's in the womb, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, as as uh, jesus is is uh, introduced to him as the and so suddenly now he is he's moved upon by the holy spirit and the holy spirit begins to to move on this and as the kingdom is, is coming to to bear in in the, in the world now we see john the baptist uh, beginning to call people out into into the kingdom of god and the kingdom of god begins to advo- advance kingdom of God begins to move and the scripture says to us in this passage scripture verse 12 that the that the, the kingdom is moving forcefully and that forceful men lay hold of it or it could mean could be interpreted to say that, that the kingdom has is being advanced upon it can also be read that way in the Greek that the kingdom as it comes is being attacked and so there is this hit there's this uh, this hindrance to the kingdom on this earth forceful men are trying to lay hold of it. But in, however we read that passage of Scripture, we recognize that there's this, this violent aspect to the kingdom of God, that Jesus didn't come to make nice with everyone, but he came to bring a sword, he told one person, and he came to, to divide households, he told someone. So Jesus comes, and the kingdom comes to, to, to separate people And so in, in, in some respects. And so as Jesus comes and begins to do this, ministry, Jesus is now beginning to launch out, and the healing that we see Jesus doing is to announce the coming of the kingdom of God on the earth. You see, there's this great assault. John the Baptist begins this, and then the kingdom comes with this idea that it's, 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 it's coming to assault the earth, to bring it back underneath the lordship of Jesus, underneath the lordship of God. And so the only person that can do this is Jesus, of course, and John the Baptist begins this thing. And so we have to understand not only that this is this violent aspect of the kingdom of God is something that is, is ours to hold on to and, and, to, and to embrace, but it, it continues to the, in that way still to this day. There are still people trying to violently lay hold of the kingdom of God. There are still people who are resisting the will of God when it's on the earth. In fact, you and I, let's be honest, you and I sometimes resist the will of God when God's trying to work it out in our life one way or the other. And so we, we sometimes have to bring ourselves under subjection to Him. We have to recognize what the, what the character of the kingdom of God is like. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So there's this, this, this uh, understanding that Jesus' kingdom comes to destroy things, things that the enemy has set in place. Romans chapter 5, verse 15 through 19 says, The last Adam came to overcome and to heal all that sprang from the first Adam. It tells us that, that the first Adam messed up, the second Adam came to overturn all that had come to come to bear in that, that 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 surrender to darkness. Matthew chapter 12 verse 29 tells us that Jesus was plundering the kingdom of darkness while he was ministering. So wherever Jesus went, wherever he did a miracle, wherever he reached into someone's life, wherever he touched them, he was plundering that person out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them in, just like it says in the Scripture that you and I were taken out of the, the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his life. Je- Jesus is doing the same thing. He's plundering the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of hell. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 24, and Luke eleven twenty one 21 tell us that Demons are being driven out by the very presence of the kingdom of God there. Jesus never, ever assigns sickness in the entirety of his ministry, never assigns sickness to the work of God. Now, wouldn't you think that Jesus, that somewhere along the line, would have run into somebody if, if, the, if that was the kind of character that God had, that he would, just, that he would allow some people just to be like, well, you're just going to that. No, that's God's will. I'm sorry. That Jesus would have had some time to say, but that's not at all. Jesus says that his will is healing. And so whenever somebody comes and asks him and says, Lord, will you heal me? Jesus doesn't say, well, have you been a good boy? No, you have that confused with Santa Claus. Jesus doesn't say, are you worthy of the healing?" No, there were times when people would come to him and say, would you heal this man? He's worthy of, of having a healing happen because they were interceding to Jesus as a rabbi saying, he's worthy of your prayers. But he, Jesus never asked anyone, are you worthy? Because 100% of the people in this room are unworthy. There's not a single one of us worthy in here. We never ask for what we deserve. We always ask for mercy, right? Right? We always ask for unmerited favor, a grace that is upon So when we come to God, it's not about whether we, we are, we, we, don't, we don't pray for people and say, well, you deserve that sickness that's on you. When we're ministering healing to somebody, we don't say, well, you probably deserve that. Yes, they probably do. But, but that's, that's irrespective. It may, there's no, no reason for us to bring that up because we too deserve it. So, so we have to bring that person... In fact, we're, we're doing that person a great disservice if we make it about something that they have to, have to um, achieve. Healing is not something that you have to achieve. Healing is something that you have to receive. Jesus only assigned sickness to the work of the devil. It was either natural influence, Luke 13, 10, Mark, or Matthew 12, Mark 9, 14 through 19, and a million other verses Jesus addresses all these sicknesses and says say that they are demonic in origin and then there's some that Jesus addresses as being from the natural world Mark chapter 9:25 Luke four verses 39. Each of these, Jesus says that these things, these, these things are, are come, but Jesus never says, this is the will of God. This is, he says, yes, it's a part of the brokenness of humanity and the broken world we live in. Or yes, it's because the kingdom of darkness has you uh, under attack and it's coming against you. But Jesus never says, ah, that one you're going to have to live with. And G- Jesus always gives us the hope of healing. In fact, the very word sozo in Greek means both salvation and healing salvation deliverance and healing it means all those things at the same time so that word when we translate it has to be interpreted by the context of what we're of what we're translating in fact mark 5 the whole chapter of mark 5 and mark chapter 10 when jesus is using the word to heal he's using the word sozo which is the same word as salvation so where is this purchased well if we are looking in matthew 8 uh, let me read Matthew eight verse seventeen to you. We read what Jesus, what, what the gospel writer says. It says, "When the evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him and drove out spirits with the word, and he and he drove out spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fill, fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah that he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases." Here, the healing ministry of Jesus, the physical healing ministry of Jesus, is described by this, by this uh, prophecy of Isaiah. And so this is fulfilled. This is from Isaiah 53, saying that he took up these diseases, and, that, and it's describing Jesus' he, physical healing ministry. If we go back to 1 Peter, we don't have time to do that tonight, but if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the exact verse is used to speak about the salvation of people. And so when that verse is being quoted, it's quoted in two places in the New Testament, once in, Mar- in Matthew and once in Peter. One time it's used to talk about the physical healing ministry of Jesus. Another time it's used to talk about the, the, uh, the spiritual healing, the, the forgiveness of sins and, and the, the like that happens in our life. And in other words, that, that this salvation co- encompasses both Spiritual healing, which none of us seem to have a problem believing God for, and physical healing, which is the other side of the coin of salvation. So much so that someone in the Bible says, well, healing is the children's bread. So we recognize that what Jesus did on the, uh, on the, on the cross was that he purchased the ability for all of us to experience healing. How do we know that? Because everyone who goes to heaven gets healed. Not a, not a lame person that walks into heaven... Ever so, or that, that, that lasts in heaven, and we may walk in lame, but we will be will be healed from the moment we walk in that in the gates there. So recognizing that this is in the atonement, that healing is in the atonement, both spiritual healing and physically. Now, some people will tell you, well, well. Uh, physical healing is not in the atonement. Well, of course it is, because it says clearly that it's part of the messianic promise in Isaiah 53 here. So it's kind of foolish to argue that. Of course it is, because God gets that will done as soon as we get into a place where his will is unfettered and unchallenged and he's not being fought on every, every um, moment. In fact, death, it seems, is Satan's ultimate weapon. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, speaking of Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now you say, well, if we've been set free from the, from the fear of death, how does that work? Because this body of ours is still going to die. Everybody in here going to die? unless the rapture happens tonight we're all going to die unless the lord comes and takes us back before we go home we're all going to die so how is it that we no longer have fear how is it that the the accomplishment of the cross is that it relieved me of fear of death well it does that because death seems to be now the, the the greatest weapon of my enemy and if the greatest weapon of my enemy only sends me home to my heavenly father early then i am relieved of all fear i don't need to face that it just means that i'm whole in the name of jesus it just means that i i go into the presence of jesus but it doesn't mean that i lay down and die right not not everyone who's going to be saved rather is saved already right there'll be in other words someone will get saved tomorrow or this sunday in church right someone you believe that yeah someone so not so but Did Jesus purchase for them? Yes, but is it a reality now? No, not yet. So while he has purchased it, so, so we recognize that, you see, I'm kind of building an argument. You understand what I'm doing? I'm trying to build an argument to show you that this is God's will and his purpose is, is that he works for the healing of, of people. I'm, I'm doing this so that we will understand that we have an obligation as believers in Jesus to minister healing to the broken who come in among us. I'm doing this to say that we must be ministers of the healing word of Jesus in the same way as we minister the word of God. That God's purpose and plan is not just for us to preach, but also for us to lay hands on the sick that they will recover. I'm saying that, I'm trying to be on the edge of radical without being ridiculous. Recognizing that this is God's purpose. Only when we recognize that the gospel is true, that I'm saved, only then am I released from the fear of death. And then we can say with the Apostle Paul, Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? The sting of death still stings those who lose a loved one because they mourn unless they have hope in Christ. And once we have hope in Christ, then we no longer mourn in that way because death is merely the gateway, the very unfriendly one, but still a gateway that we walk through to go into the place that God has for us. But recognize that God's purpose and plan is that when we go go into this, we come with the expectation that, that God hears and answers prayer. And we have the assurance of life after this and the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the glorified body, that God's healing purpose will eventually happen. But enough about death. We live in a world with a very real fight. We have not seen the full vanquishment of our enemy, or at least the enemy of our soul. Doesn't he still persist in vexing us in our life? Doesn't he still persist in tempting us, doesn't he? And he persists in lying, right? And he persists in deceiving some, right? And he persists even in making people sick. He does. He continues to do that. Now you would say, well, Pastor, it's, it's the 21st century. We believe in germs. And Jesus understood the whole concept, but he recognized that some germs are germs that you bump into, and some germs have been sent on a mission to undo your life. So because of what Jesus recognized, because because of what what we recognize as Jesus saying, is that some sickness comes straight from the pit of hell, and some sickness is stuff we bump into. Nevertheless, we recognize that God can bring healing and, and, and promises to bring healing. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth someday where we don't have to battle. There'll be an existence someday where sin and sickness and sorrow and tears don't exist. But in this life that we live, they still are here. And we have to battle through that. But until then, every single soldier has to fight. No matter how homesick that soldier is no matter how homesick that soldier is for the presence of the Lord. Every soldier has a duty to fight, to live. Every soldier has a responsibility to keep swinging, even though they've been knocked down three, four, five, a hundred times, to get back up and keep swinging. We have this I don't know what it is. It's almost Narnian. It's almost a a, uh, cartoon vision of our life. As though we will only be knocked down one time and then we'll bounce back and then we'll fight and then we'll get the victory. But I've found out, as so have you, many of you, that sometimes you have to spend a great deal of your time on your butt. That sometimes you get knocked down again and again And again, this is why Jesus in Luke 22 called this the hour where darkness reigns. And yet at the same time, Jesus came to deliver this earth out of that darkness. Jesus didn't beat the devil simply because his power is greater. Jesus beat the devil in the place where the devil was weakest. What was the thing that the enemy of our soul could not do? He couldn't obey God, right? He couldn't obey God. He 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 had it was too willful, too proud, and so he acted upon his own willfulness and pride. And so, how did Jesus beat him? Did Jesus crank up a fireball like one of our uh, modern day Marvel comic book characters and? Whip fireball, you, do we see a, some kind of activity out in the desert somewhere where they're having some kind of a fiery uh, fireball exchange out there and Jesus' fireballs are a little bit bigger than the devil's fireballs until finally the devil is vanquished by the big fireballs of Jesus? That's not how it happened. Of course not. Because Jesus didn't match him power for power. Jesus matched him in something that he was unable to do. Jesus obeyed God. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And so as Jesus was going through, Jesus obeyed and because he obeyed, Satan couldn't touch him. So what was Satan's biggest trick to him? Come to him and try to get him off the line of obedience. If you worship me, I'll give you all the world. Right? So Jesus whips him at the game that he is unable to 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 follow through upon and so if we understand that that kind of gives us an understanding of what what we live in our our life that we don't go head to head with the devil rather we go our knees to the ground submitting ourselves in obedience to God and that's how the devil has to flee submit yourself therefore unto God Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? When you submit yourself in obedience, the enemy has to leave. Why? Because he can't stand in the, in the presence of an obedient saint when you're submitting yourself to God. And, and Jesus lived that out before us. So, told. so we, we live in a world where there's a very real fight going on. Our, our way of fighting is not to, to go power for power against the devil. Rather, our, our way of fighting is to submit ourselves, therefore, unto God. And even though Jesus has ultimately got the victory, we all believe that, right? You read the end of the book, you know that you, you're going to be victorious in the end. Even though Jesus already has the ultimate victory, that it's a little bit like, uh, like, uh, like our, our position was in Europe when, when we were in the Second World War. D-Day happened. We began to break the back of the Nazi regime, and certainly there was there was uh, 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 the the war was for all intents and purposes over. But there was still fighting going on. Why? Because because there were still pockets of resistance all around. And that's what Jesus saw when he sent his disciples out two by two to go out and preach the gospel and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons he said go out there and do that and when they returned back to him, Jesus was full of joy in the Holy Spirit that's what it says in the gospel of Luke and he rejoiced because wherever he saw them going it was like a lightning strike from the kingdom of God into that place because the kingdom of God came and visited in that place the power of God came and it confirmed the word that was being preached there So people were being saved and people were being set free. And wherever they went, that's what was going on. And that's what thrilled Jesus. And then Jesus said, don't get into power games, saints. Don't get into power games, my disciples. Don't don't think that's what it's all about. What it's about is living for the king. It's about living for the king. And so the power of the Holy Spirit was released in those places. So Let's talk a minute about the low cost or the cost of low faith. Mark chapter 6, if you'd turn there with me for a minute. Irony here is I, I read this passage of Scripture in my devotions this week. It just spoke to me. If I had to do it all over again, I'd preach you a new sermon. I'd, I'd talk about how amazing we are to Jesus. Do you know Jesus is amazed by you? It says, Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus left there, and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And it says, and they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives and his own house, is a prophet without honor. And the scripture says in verse 5, And he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He could not grasp in his humanity the weakness of the faith of humanity. Think about The cost of low faith. Here, for these people, the opportunity for miracles to be done is right there in the town. But because they're stumbling, because they're offended by Jesus, because they knew his roots, because they were offended maybe by his tactics, because uh, they were lacking faith, therefore Jesus could only heal a few. Christ was limited by their lack of faith. I've heard a lot of preachers preach but I've never heard any preacher be able to talk his way out of that. God was limited in this capacity right here because the conditions for the prayer weren't right. I said last week that there's no strict there's no strict linking between faith and healing. But there's certainly no healing without faith. That God responds to faith. In fact, faith seems to be required. Matthew chapter 9, verse 28, Mark 9, 23, tell us that Jesus looked for faith. That he looked amongst people and looked for people who had faith when he was preaching. That that's what amazed Jesus. That's what attracted him to people, and and Jesus looked and he saw that faith. Jesus, we were told in in Matthew 8, verse 10, and 9, verse 22, and 15, verse 28, Jesus, whenever he found great faith, he celebrated it. Oh, what great faith you have, he said. He recognized that, and he rewarded and celebrated faith. And Jesus seems to uh, be irritated by lack of faith, he's limited here in this passage of Scripture, but remember in Luke 9, where Jesus comes, gets exasperated and he says, Oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? The lack of faith causes Jesus to kind of snap a little bit because it's frustrating to have so much capacity and so much a potential and yet, it's limited because of the lack of faith. You say, well, what, that, what does that have to do with me? If we believe that God, if we believe what the word says, that God wants to heal, if we believe that God wants to do the miraculous among we must be a people who step out into circumstances and lay hands on the sick. We, want, we don't want to do it until. A glowing light shines over someone's head and God assures us that we will not be embarrassed. Or his word bursts like like fireworks on the inside of our hearts so that we know absolutely that we won't make a fool of ourselves. Well, friend, if you have to wait for that to happen, you will never lay hands on a single soul all of your life. Rather, what we should be doing is exactly what Jesus did. And how did Jesus win over the devil? By obedience. And so we, sh- we, too, should be laying hands on the sick. We, too, should be ministering to the sick and ministering, not browbeating them for the lack of faith. You say, well, I just I would if the Lord would just show me a sign. Right? Would you? Would you? I bet you wouldn't. In fact, the only people that ever asked for a sign from Jesus were the devil and the Pharisees. The devil, remember, said, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, I don't do tricks for you. And when the Pharisees said, show us a sign, Jesus blew them off and rebuked their lack of faith. They were supposed to be the leaders of Israel, and they didn't have enough faith to believe the Messiah when he walked in amongst them and taught them from the Scripture. And so, recognizing this, we recognize that Jesus has to have a particular context for a miracle. That his purpose is to bring the is to have the word be brought forth and then to, to have that word uh, um, accentuated by the miraculous. But we want to believe that because we are needy folk we are needy folk all of us in here are needy folk i i was telling my wife not too long ago that I, there used to be a guy on the radio used to say at the end of every radio broadcast oh be nice to everybody because everybody's going through something and i remember used to think what a lack of faith but now i realize well how perceptive that guy is because i know a lot of people in this room and everybody is going through something right? Everybody's got something that we may not know, but everybody's going through something. And cut everybody a little slack, be nice, but, but recognize that the power of God is there for us to grab a hold of. <clears throat> so what's faith? If faith is so important, if Jesus rewards faith, if he's looking for faith, if he rebukes a lack of faith, then what is real faith? Well, real faith is not hype. It's not hype. Reading 57 verses to hype up your spirit is not faith. That's called, are you ready for this revelation? Excitement. There's nothing more exciting than the Word of God. And it will excite you, but that's not faith. You're just excited about the possibility. Real faith, thank you, is the love of God that we we have to trust Him. See, Jesus doesn't do miracles to prove that He's, at least all the miracles that Jesus does, are not done so that He can prove that He's over those, over the, the waves and over the, the sickness. You know, Jesus isn't, isn't trying to, they're not all apologetic, is what I'm saying. The purpose of the miracles are not to show off, they're to accompany the word of His love. So the disciples go out and they say, Really, man, God really loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you so that you would experience real eternal life. And then they prayed for those people. And if those people really believed that God so loved them, then real faith actuated those miracles. I'm trying to get you to understand that there is a link between faith and love. See, every person in here believes that God has the power to heal. Right? 100%. We all check the box. Is God more powerful than anything? Confession I read at the beginning of every day. God is greater than the circumstance that I'm in. Every day I read the same thing. Is he? Yes, check the box. Okay, but that's just talking about God's power. That power becomes actuated in my life when I go beyond the God that's up there to to recognizing there's something of intimacy that has to be worked out in my life. When I begin to believe that the God who's all-powerful and who's out there loves me, that he sent his son to die for me. Then I have saving faith into my heart. The demons believe that God is, right? Are they saved? Not a blessed one of them, right? But every, but humans, no matter how horrible a life they live, if they come to the recognition at the end of their life, after being a murderous thug all their days, if they come to the recognition that God loves them so much, that he sent his son, and suddenly they, re- they get the revelation of God's love. Then they put their faith in the God who loves them. Boom! That's faith. Not faith in power, faith in the love of God. All of our ministry to people who are broken in their body needs to be, you see, this, it needs to be the love of God on their life. And so sometimes people don't have that, that miracle happen the first time we pray for them. We continue to pray for them in hopes that they will get the revelation that God's love is great enough for them that he will receive that. Now you say, well, that's kind of easy, isn't it? No, it's not. Sometimes the hardest thing for someone to receive is that God cares for them in your circumstance where you are right now having done all that you've done having thought the things you thought and and said the things you said even yet today god loves you only when we break through the barrier then people begin to put their faith in the god who loves them only when they only when they truly believe that god loves them see these people we see running the dusty streets of Jerusalem, Galilee, running up to Jesus, they're, they're, they're believing that, they're, that Jesus cares. Why? Because Jesus is compassionate to everyone. The word that who Jesus is is not, people aren't saying, there's this Jesus guy, and he has all kinds of power, and he's just, a, he's just the most powerful person on the planet. They may have said some things about his power. But they also said, he's approachable, and he'll do a miracle if you ask him because he cares for people. Unlike these Pharisees who have their theology all together and don't give a flying flip about you, Jesus cares for you. So when we're praying and we're ministering to people, our word to them, whether they seem to have heaps of faith or none whatsoever, is that God loves you and he cares about you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God would send his Holy Spirit to empower your life, to, to fill you up? Have you had experienced the love of God as we're praying for people? for We're, we're bringing them into the love quotient of who, who the gospel is. These things re, re, remain, right? We heard that on Sunday. But the greatest of these is love. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. That's what it says in Galatians. And so if we understand that the whole purpose of this is for us to grab revelation of the love of God, then it's no wonder that God would accompany the preaching of the word, as it says in in Mark chapter 16, verse 20. He would accompany the preaching of the word of God with signs and wonders and miracles. Why would God do that? Because he wants so desperately for the message of his people, or for his people to receive the message of his love. And so understanding that, that this whole purpose of this is for us to grab a hold of the broken and the hurting and the wounded. Every single person is going through something. We just said that. Every single person in this place is going through something. Every single one of us has something that we're wrestling with. Many of us are wrestling with physical. Isn't it amazing to me? Whenever we get these prayer requests, they're all physical, why? Why what hap- why, do- why? are the- these the prayer requests that we have? Because these- this is the place where we come to the end of ourselves. We don't have power over cancer. We don't have power over these things. And we are reminded of our mortality, and we're reminded of the futility of our own strength, of our impotence when it comes to wrestling with these issues. And so in these issues, when we are cornered in that place, we are... We are forced to ask ourselves, does God really care? Right? That's what we're asking. Does God really care? And the gospel says God does care. Now, let's preach the whole Bible. We don't always understand why some people, Trophimus, Epaphroditus, Timothy, are not healed. Paul leaves Trophimus and Miletus. Paul sends Epaphroditus back home, says he was sick, he almost died. Paul tells Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, because he had continuous stomach problems. We don't have a, we don't have a problem with that, because we recognize that that we all wrestle with, with things that are weakness. But nevertheless, God intervenes and sends his kingdom even into a Wednesday services. Even into Wednesday services. Even when your belly is full of arachira. Even when you're sleepy and you just wish that guy in front would shut up. God does send his power and his spirit into services because... His message of love is never out of season. His message of love is never out of season. We have to understand, some people say, well, no, no, you're already healed. That's true and false at the same time. Yes, the Bible says, by his stripes we were healed. Right? And so that has been purchased for us. But the reality of that isn't always manifest while we're walking here on this earth. So, that's, and that's kind of the way everything is. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read that we are holy and that we're going to be made holy and that we're being made holy. All in the same chapter, within a span of Nine or ten verses there, there's, there. We're told three different things. We've, we've been already made holy. We're going to be made holy. And we're being made holy all along. In 1 Peter we're told that salvation has come. And that God has given us already a, 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 a new birth. And then it says. But we're waiting for a salvation that will be revealed from heaven. In other words, we're waiting for the whole enchilada. The whole enchilada of the kingdom hasn't come here. Recognize. What the miraculous is. We find it in Hebrews chapter 6. We're told that the miraculous is really a taste of the divine power. A taste of the divine power. I love that passage of scripture. It's it's speaking to a bunch of people who backslid, actually. In Hebrews chapter 6. He says, verse 5, that you've tasted in the powers of the coming age. So these people were once walking with the Lord. They tasted with the powers, they tasted the powers of the coming age. Now, in other words, the miracles that are going to be completely without, without hesitation in the kingdom of God, in, in 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 heaven, rather, those things are being done even now as we're living out our life. On the earth, because the kingdom of God comes, comes into it. Now, you say, well, I, I haven't seen one of those miracles. How many people are you laying your hands on? See, that's the key, is you have to be obedient. You have to be acting out in the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. I know this is, this is hard for us to grasp, because we're trained one way. We have to begin to think biblically in our life. So so recognize, then, that God wants to tell people something very simple. I love you. That's what God wants to tell them. And that healing is just another way for God to confirm that he really loves them. It's not freakish. It's not bizarre. It's just a biblical way for God to say, yeah, let me show you how much I love you. And so we should begin to pray. I'm not talking about pushing people down. I'm not talking about breathing heavy into your microphones. I'm not talking. I'm talking about praying for people. We'll talk a little bit about that in the future. But talking about praying for people who need so desperately to know that God's love intersects their life right where they are right now. You know why we love prophetic words? Because the prophetic word comes and meets us where we are. God reads our mail. And we like that. We think that's cool. When God comes into, into our life and he intersects with us right here. And he says something that only God could know, right? We like that. It's amazing. And, and so we wait for the next prophetic, next professional guy to come through. You have the same Holy Spirit. You have that same Holy Spirit working in your life. Dare to believe and dare to be obedient because out of your faith and your obedience, that's how you crush the head of the enemy. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.burwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.